Amen. Thank you, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Check, 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 check. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's just, while we got time, let's check all the other mics real quick before we start service. I know. I don't, I don't know either. It happens. We have been, uh, I think we've been fortunate, though. We usually don't have too many technology issues. So thank you, Mr. Nick. Thank you, Joel, for, for all of your guys' help. And we usually don't have too many technology issues, or we're able to get those things squared away before service starts. But uh, uh, just a small one as we get started today. And today we're going to, again, I just want to share a few thoughts before we conclude with uh, communion. And, and we're going to conclude this series we've been calling for the last, uh, goes all the way really back to the beginning of August, called Cast the First Stone. And we, this, this series has been this idea of how, understanding how we deal with sin, how do we deal with things that are taboo. And the important thing is we, we, it's, it's okay that we use that word sin because it is biblical. And the Bible identifies things that are in, that are in opposition to God's will for us. And it's okay to, to understand what the Bible says of specific things. But we must also do those things. But how we approach someone else who is in sin and how we approach other sins is something we must do with grace and we know how to distribute grace if we're the kinds of people that can receive grace. If we are willing to, if we're willing to recognize our faults and the things that we fall short time and time again and allow the loving God to distribute grace to us to keep growing and keep coming after him. But even those things doesn't change the responsibility that we have as a church to uphold the authority of Scripture, but also the responsibility that we have to each other to actually help them, to, to help them work through various struggles in their life. So there's a responsibility to the church that we have, but if we're going to do complete this responsibility with the attitude of hostility or, or defensiveness, well, we're going to continue, we're going to drop the ball. So we must be able to do these things with an attitude of love. And so as I've been given that recap each week, I know it's like a mouthful. But but if I'm really honest, I've, you know, talked to to some of you outside of church about this that this is something that I if I, I'm honest, I don't believe the church is doing very well right now. I'm not just talking about our congregation. I'm talking about the church universal. I don't think we're doing a great job of of recognizing things in sexuality that are wrong. But then how do we still love and distribute grace to these people while upholding the authority of Scripture? So I hope in previous weeks we've been to come to, to, come to terms with that. And a big part of the answer is that you've got to find yourself right in the middle of this story. You've got to find yourself as someone who the power of the living God is doing something in your life right now. And your prerequisite is that God is transforming you so you know how to reach out to others who are being transformed as well. And so 
we're going to conclude this because I want to, we're going to conclude this today because I want you to recognize something that you've had. So all week long or all series long, we've been talking about how we need to put down the stone. And today's message is going to be uh, t- today's message is going to be put down the stone and pick up the sword. Today we're going to talk to you about a weapon that you have here in just a few moments. But the, the first piece of this is that we got to learn how to put down the stone. So before we get to that, I, I just want to begin with a word of prayer. And go ahead, Nick, you can put up John, uh, John 8, 7 there, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, may your spirit help make clear what man and what Brody can do sometimes to make things complicated. May your spirit bring clarity this morning and remind each and every one here that they are part of this story. They are part of this problem, but they are also part of the solution. That we must find ourselves with open hearts that are willing and ready to bring about change and ready to bring life where other all across our country are bringing about division and polarization. May we be the church that is anointed for this moment, that can speak life to complicated things, that can speak life and light into dark places, and make others whole and make others healed where others have given up on them. Or may we see our, our, our responsibility as a church to be as Jesus of the, in the flesh to a culture and a community in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first piece of this today is to put down the stone. Put down the stone. And John 8, 7 simply says when they kept on questioning him, him referring to Jesus after they caught this woman in adultery, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I think we've come to understand through this series now that having the stone in the hand, and now I'm not just talking about the text, I'm talking about you. Wanting to cast the first stone, wanting to accuse, and wanting to point out someone else's flaws. I think that hope throughout this series, we've come to understand that even having this thing in your hand, holding on to this, shows a lack of understanding, but even more specifically, a lack of grace that you're willing to distribute, and yes, even more specifically, a lack of grace that you haven't have yet to receive. Let me understand what I'm trying to tell you. Someone who's continuing to hang on to something and finding ways to accuse people, it doesn't reveal themselves as someone who keeps going back to the cross and finding the living God as someone who forgives them and gives them grace for all the things that they fall short in time and time again. Do you see this, church? Because you're part of this story. So this is the problem with the stone. So it's time we, we put this stone down. Because you, you, you see this pattern. We talked a little bit about this last week. When, when one insecure person fires off something at another, 
then the other insecure person feels the need to defend themselves. And so some people just want others to feel what they feel. And we don't arrive at this place overnight. But, but in Scripture, we see something that is different than what we see this, this pattern in our culture. That, when, and, and, that we see this time and time again. So the, the answer, church, is that we must be, be able to be comfortable in ourselves because we're comfortable in the God who has found us. Because we're comfortable in our identity as Christ followers. And gosh... I could get the stone thrown at me every day 21 times. What right do I have to hang on to this stupid thing? Put the stone down. It's time to stop accusations. It's time to to live in a world as Christ followers where we don't continue to point out other people's flaws and celebrate them with other people. Come on. This is the first step. We must be willing to put the stone down down. My, uh, I'm sorry, Allie, I got to do this to you, but it makes a great example. I, I owe you $5. You can tell anytime I have to give a sermon illustration for kit for my kids. But yesterday had a perfect example of, of, of what I just described in this insecurity. So you're playing in a, you're playing in a volleyball game and your team starts losing and people start making mistakes. Well, when you start making mistakes, does anybody in here ever make mistakes? You're usually one of two people. There's usually two things that happen. You're either that person that just shuts down and stonewalls and goes, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to walk away. I just want to leave. I'm so embarrassed. I don't ever want anybody to see me. That's one way to do it. The other way is that, well, if you're insecure in yourself, you start blaming other people. It's somebody else's fault. It's not mine. But again, what happens when you're that person that gets blamed? Then now it becomes about your identity, doesn't it? Whether or not you're comfortable enough in yourself to understand what's going on. To understand why someone else is accusing you. Because maybe it's not about you at all, is it? It's more about what they're going through. Church, do you understand why, how, why it's so important to be comfortable in who we are? to understand what God has done for us and to be able to receive grace from the cross, from the blood and from the body time and time and time again, we must be comfortable in in who we are in him or else we are going to be like people who live or have our emotions on our sleeves and, and respond to every little thing, every little shot someone takes at us. And keep that stone in our hand because we can always find something, can't we? And so, so this is, that's it. I'm done. I owe you $5, Allie. So I don't say anything more about the volleyball game. But that's what happens. So, so one girl starts getting mad. And, and instead of, you know, just saying we make mistakes, she just starts blaming other people for the mistakes. And that's what kids do. That's, so we don't know how to respond to pressure sometimes. That's why sports are kind of cool in high school because it teaches you life simulation, examples of this is what it's going to be like in life. You're going to make mistakes. And what are you going to do when you make mistakes? You're going to take ownership of them. You're going to blame somebody else. And what happens when somebody blames you? Or is it going to be all your fault? Are you going to be mad at them and you want to quit the job because you're mad at them? See how we, we got to learn some of these lessons at some point in our life, right? So I asked the church of Jesus Christ, are we still, have we learned these lessons? Are we still learning them? Do we want to keep the stone in our hand? Today, I tell you, as we conclude this series, it's time to put the stone down. But here's the beautiful thing. 
is that Jesus didn't leave us with just he didn't just he doesn't just tell us and that's what most people think that Christianity and religion is it's all of these things that you can't do all of these things that you need to stop he didn't just leave it there at put the stone down he provides us with something he provides us with a sword we read about this in Ephesians 6:12 through 17 you can put that one up there nick For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, now here's all the weapons, or the, 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 the armor here. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate. Can you use belt as a weapon? Uh, yeah, you can, but it's not necessarily meant to be a weapon. It's just good to hold your pants up, right? And hold your other armor there, too. The breastplate of righteousness in place. Breastplate, is that defensive or, or, or offensive? It's right here. It's defensive, right? And with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So that's shoes. You can take off your shoes and throw them at someone. But really, they're just meant for you to walk with them. So um, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Is this offense or defense? You could throw a shield at somebody if you had to, but then you don't have anything to protect you anymore. So shield again, another defensive, uh, another defensive um, piece of armor. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. This is something you put on your head to protect yourself. I would say that's a defensive piece of armor, right? And then finally, at the conclusion, we get to that one offensive weapon. We get that one piece that we can attack with. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I want to get to a couple more texts before we talk about what this sword was, because we got four texts I gave you here, Nick, that that tell us a little bit, that mention something more about this sword in Scripture. So let's go ahead and go. We'll start with 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. He says, For the secret power is uh, of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed from who, with whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now I put that because it's familiar, just as familiar with these next two verses in Revelation. Go ahead and go to Revelation. And oh, I must have gave you the wrong verse. Is there more to that one? Uh, did I give you Revelation 1.6? I gave you the wrong one. Go to 2.12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Go to the last one in 2.16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is that which comes forth from Christ. Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit. In other words, this is what 
what Jesus is doing when he comes back in Revelation. He's actually defeating things. He's actually waging war with what sounds like, according to Scripture, with just like the breath of his mouth. I mean, I, I feel like that when I eat garlic and onions, like a waging war with just the breath that comes out of my mouth. But this is something different, right? Now, here's what's unique about when you think of, I thought about getting illustrations and, you know, actually getting a sword, but really good chance I would hurt someone or myself if I did that. Now, but when you think, when you read about this sword of the Spirit in Scripture, I'm sure you imagine like a long, like a long sword, right? That's not the case. The Greek word here is actually more like that, like a dagger. The Romans would have two different types of sword, and the Greek word in this one is actually that little thing. It's really just like a long knife, isn't it? So this thing that Paul is talking about, is, that is a metaphor of the Roman, uh, is what a Roman, um, um, you know, uh, or a guy in the Roman military would wear, is, is this dagger, knife kind of weapon. The thing that you use for up close and personal fighting. You know, up close, you know, nasty stuff. This is the kind of tool you need. This is the metaphor that Paul is giving us. So let's put all this together a little bit. Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit. He says at the beginning that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that all of these other things we need that, by the way, you can't take up a, a, a when it says take, you can't, you got a shield in one hand, and then he says you got to put the helmet on, so you can't have the helmet in your hand. You got to have the helmet on your head. You have to receive salvation which often comes after salvation is the Spirit, the Word of God, the Spirit of God within you. So you got your helmet on, you've received salvation, in, but you've got a weapon. You don't just have to put down the, the stone. You've also got the Spirit of God. Now, here's the tricky part is we don't know exactly. We're trying to understand what this thing is supposed to be used for. I got this weapon this little dagger here is, is the metaphor, right? But really, he's talking about the Spirit of God. But what am I supposed to do with it? Great question. Christians are still trying to figure this out thousands of years later. He gave us the Holy Spirit, but what do we do with it? What are we supposed to do with this weapon we have been given? Now, I, many of you, most all of you know by now that I come from charismatic, from charismatic churches, and we've seen, I've seen... You know, lots of signs and miracles and God's do, God doing amazing things. But what I'm trying to tell you is that's not the end of that. That's not exclusively that's what that means, that you're supposed to see people healed by people's laying on hands. That happened in Scripture. It happens today. There's crazy things that happen that God still does. But that's not the end all. What, if we take a look at this text, we take a look at what, what Matthew or what Jesus was saying in Revelation, what really was the purpose of this sword? Where does the work really need to be done? What's really supposed to be happening here? Let's pull back the, the verse that Pam read. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes 
of him to who we must give an account. A lot of what's going on here, church, is what's going on in us. The up close and personal thing, we need words like, well, is it on inside? Is it inside of us? Is it outside of us? If you want to stick with the metaphor, it's right in front of your stinking face. <laughs> it's happening to you right now. It's so in your face that, that you don't know whether it's in you, or whether it's outside of you, but you need to do something about it. Let me give you an example because here's our third piece we're going to talk about is fight. Okay, we need to put down the stone. We need to pick up the sword. But the most important thing that we need to do is learn how to fight. We're going to put all this together here in a minute. We got a great example of this in Matthew chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to read through all of this. I'm just going to read you the highlights. I don't know if you know, if you recall what happened in Matthew 4. Jesus had just been baptized. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist. Many believe that was like the inauguration of his ministry. And the first thing that Jesus did after he was baptized by John the Baptist was he went out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, this was like, uh, this was a inter- very interesting text, very interesting paradigm in Scripture, because this was a time when Jesus was settling his own identity. Something that all of us need to do. Now, I would never say it's that we need to go out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's one of the, personally, one of the more complicated verses in Scripture for me, but we do need to settle our identity. Now, here's what happens. Here's how you see Jesus using this weapon. First of all, the enemy offers, in verses, the enemy, the enemy offers, he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers in verse 4, or verse here, he says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan tries something else. He's being tempted by the devil here in Matthew 4, 6 through 7. It reads this. It says, if you are the son of God, he said, referring to Satan, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will commend, command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The third one. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now, here we see the enemy offering Jesus something, multiple things that were never meant to be a part of his identity. I want to say that again because you get tempted every day with these same types of temptations. You get offered things all of the time that were never meant from your creator, from the reason you exist on this planet, were never meant to be a part of your identity. They were never meant to be your role here in this earth. And many of the depression, much of the anxiety, much of the confusion that takes place in our culture today is because we are chasing after things that God never intended for us to. And here, Satan is offering Christ these, very, these fundamental things. He's offering these things to him 
but these things were never meant to be a part of your identity. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. This is how we see, we saw Jesus use this weapon, and he says the same thing that was, that was within me, he's going to give to us. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive a weapon. We have this weapon that many of us don't know how to use, but some of us have. We have all these things to defend us, and sometimes this stuff is right upon us. It's not like we went looking for it, but nonetheless, it's right in front of our face. And all of these lists we've been mentioning in the past, you have a weapon to, yes, fight sexual temptation. You have a weapon to fight impurity. You have a weapon to fight hatred. You have a weapon to fight jealousy. You have a weapon to fight entitlement. Yes, that's not what you were created for, entitlement. You were not created for envy. You have a weapon to fight envy. You have a weapon to fight drunkenness. You have a weapon to fight dissension and and, and cultural polarization that's taking place all around us. You were given stuff because it was expected that these things would be all up in your grill and you would have to deal with these things in life. But Christ said, I want you to know who you are. I want you to be reminded of who you are. And I've given you the power to overcome these things. But you have to choose to fight. You have to settle in your own identity that this is not who I'm created to be. This is the way the world works. They take shots at each other all the time. They tear each other down all the time. I like to get on social media and say stupid things about people and, 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 and separate, but I was created to bring life. Man, are there any men and women that, are, that have received the blood and life of Christ that they just don't see how congruent it is to be tearing other people down when we see what the living God has done for us? Are there people that are ready to speak life into situations where others have torn everything apart? It's time to put the stone down and pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Jesus said it's like joint divides joints and marrow, soul and spirit. See, that's just kind of, you know, man-made biblical theological language to divide that stuff that is kind of your flesh, that's kind of your human nature, the way you tend to be if you don't have some correction and the spirit, which is God's presence within you, that is showing you, you know, God works within conviction. It's not like he's condemning us and telling us we're a failure. He's re- inviting us every day that I have a better way for you. This is what everybody else is choosing. But I have a better way for you. And I think you know it too. I think you know in the middle of all of this polarization in the middle of picking up stones and throwing on each other, not, maybe not physically, but verbally, but emotionally, that this just doesn't feel right. This wasn't what I was created for. I have a better way for you, the Lord says. I want to invite our deacons to come forward at this time as we begin to prepare for communion. As we begin to prepare, I also want to remind you that, um, you know, I've shared with you how we're going to do communion today. I'll start in the back and dismiss them first. But if you would need, if you wouldn't feel comfortable coming forward with a crowd or whatever, there's plastics back there. You can grab and partake of one of the plastic communion cups in the back.
Now, a lot of what I've been sharing this morning is about understanding who it is you are. Being able to be first and foremost secure in yourself, secure in your identity as a Christ follower, so that your hands are free to speak life whenever the temptation for envy, for entitlement, for slander, as we talked about last week, whenever those temptations come your way, that you can allow the sword of the Spirit to identify in you that, hey, maybe you need to take a step back here. Maybe my way is better than what you're pursuing here. And so identity comes back remembering who we were. And Jesus said and in, First Corinthians, in, in, in the Last Supper and in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells us to do this, partake of this meal in remembrance of me. Because you're going to go through life and you're going to get confused. And you're going to get a lot of the the weight of the world on you. But you're going to need to come back to the table and come back to the table with brothers and sisters in Christ and remember who you were. And hopefully it's not were, it's remember who you are. That you're all still in this together. That you're all still growing as Christ followers. That all of you are learning to put the stone down and pick up the sword. So... uh, uh, Nick, if you have just some, some piano music you can play, we just want to take a moment of reflection just as you prepare your hearts for communion this morning. I want to ask everybody in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a moment as we prepare. Lord, we are so blessed to have the privilege to partake in community together. We are blessed to have this privilege to be reminded of who we are. now all across this church I want to encourage you as you consider the stone and the sword what's the stone that you're hanging on to the stone of accusation the stone of frustration the stone that says I just don't understand these people (laughs) you never will Maybe you never will. Whatever it is, it's time to put this stone down. And God offers you a weapon. He says, I want to bring you peace in the middle of all these temptations. I want to bring you peace in the middle of all this anger and dissension. I want to remind you of who you are all the grace that I've given you, but even more so all the power that I've given you. I want you to just take 30 seconds, open open your mouth and, and whisper in loud words, whatever you need to do, and, and just say a prayer to your Lord, just as if you're acknowledging him in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for speaking.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At this time, I'm going to go forward and I'm going to begin dismissing you to come and partake communion. I'd ask you to make your way back around and then back to the pew that you originated at. Um, I'm going to be coming by and I would, if you would need prayer, I would, be, I would love to pray for you. Um, and so if you would need prayer for anything, I'd love to take a few moments. But let's just remain seated until we dismiss you. Please remain just in an attitude of prayer and reflection as we prepare for communion.
Let's pray. Or in moments like this, I'm reminded and grateful for or our own families, the relationships that we have and the, the significance and the meaning and the identity we found in a place that is home. But Lord, as we take this metaphor and we take what you've called us to, to always come back to the table, you're reminding us of our family. You're reminding us that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. You're reminding us that there is always a seat for us at the table, a place that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter who we've hurt, no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter how far we think we've gone from you, you're always inviting us home. There is always a seat at the table, always a time to return. So, Lord, thank you for a table that's been prepared for for us. Thank you for your death upon the cross. And but thank you for the life that you have given us to sustain us and the power of your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand for your benediction today. May you put down the stone and pick up the sword. May you know who you are in Christ so that your heart and your hands are free to use the power that you've been given to bring about the kingdom of God on this earth. God bless you and have a wonderful week.